Tuesday to everybody. I am so bad at this. Uh, today on Broken Shovel Podcasting for a Sustainable Future, we are talking about how climate change is affecting the food that we eat, uh, not only in uh, yields, but the way it tastes. Uh, I am Lucas, every single time we're here, and joined, as always, by... Eric. Hey, Eric. How are you this fine day? Uh, I am... I am this weekend. <laughs> this weekend. I've had some, as we were talking about before the show, I've been having some fun with my well this weekend, and it's just, it's burnt me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could talk a little bit about that at the end, you know. Just yeah, when we go the, back to uh, the homestead, or back, we're rolling back to the homestead, we'll discuss a little bit. Yeah, and, and just the ways that living like this can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh but like I said before, uh, so this is coming out on October the 24th, uh, so we are working with data and information up to that date. Uh, we are talking about how climate change is affecting the food we eat. Mm-hmm. So not only crop yields, which we talk about all the time, but food quality. And I've got some cool stuff about yeah, wine, so, but beer, we'll st- and coffee. And yeah, Eric has... Is- and I got some of the stuff on chocolate and corn and rice, which I mean, it all ends up coming back together. And like the big number I kept coming coming across is, and, and UN actually came out with with this as well, is that with like without a, without strong adapt, adaptive plans for crop crops, uh, yield could decrease by twenty to fifty percent by twenty fifty across like all the crops that we're talking about. They all, most of them, in everything I read, said, like, yeah, unless we change where things are grown, they're probably going to see 20, 30, 40% reduction in yield in where they're currently grown. Right, because rising temperatures change precipitation patterns, mm-hmm. extreme weather events, and these can all reduce crop yields. Yep, and there's uh, actually there's a lovely bell curve on that where it's like where rising temperatures actually, like, there's a plateau or, or a peak that like, yeah, rising temperatures are helpful to a point, And then all of a sudden, like it just drops off in yields because there's like, like you said, higher temps, more, more humidity or less humidity, depending on what the region is. And... Right. And then, you, you know, we we're also talking about things we've, we've talked over, uh, talked about over and over, like droughts yep. um, and droughts. And, and, like and um, one interesting one I found is like in, in the U.S. at least is we're likely to see um, more soil erosion, um, ocean contamination of freshwater sources, um, because we are likely to see more heavy rainfall in the United States, which we kind of alluded to last week, the week before we keep bringing up that that fact that, like, yeah, like climate change is going to give us more of these heavy rain events that we've been seeing recently. Well, and this is very much like a Goldilocks situation. Uh, you know, it's it's you know it's either too dry or too wet, mm-hmm. and plants need things to be just right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and then the, the ripple effect, and we're going to be covering this. You know, this issue is a systemic issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, the ripple effect out to food prices and food availability, and the the, the crises that are associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really a lot, but let's get into some of the products specifically. Now, I know you did a lot with wheat and cocoa. You said uh, a little bit with white wheat, wheat, cocoa, corn. But I mean, it all came down to the same thing. Like with wheat, 
uh, the big thing is, is in the United States, uh, right, uh, like they're already seeing both wheat and corn, and especially more corn so, because there's 90, 92 million acres of, in the U.S. that are growing corn, and we're likely to see a 20, 20 to 40% reduction in corn yields by 2045 to 2055, um, Likely uh, states that are already being affected by this are um, Illinois and Iowa, and those two states could potentially not be able to or become impractical to continue growing corn, wheat, soybeans, and the like in those regions by 2100. And now we're talking, you know, then we start looking at, you know, entire local economies collapsing mm-hmm. around uh, this this problem. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I, sh- uh, I shared that report with you, and it's actually really interesting because they, they talk about how we can push, up, push through this, but it requires adapting and moving to new growing regions, which in this case would be moving the corn crops further north. But the problem is, is that the farmers, we've created such a capitalistic environment that the farmers are stuck where they are because they own that land. They can't easily just get rid of that land, go move north and buy land land up north. Because, I mean, they're, it's talked to start up a farm is upwards of like $100 million of capital is required to mm-hmm. start a farm from scratch. Yeah. You know, and... and... We could really get into that. That would be a really interesting episode. But, you know, we're talking equipment, buildings, uh, feed, mm-hmm. uh, Irriga- a, a big number, irrigation. Big, big, uh, irrigation, that's, that's actually something I kept coming across, is that, uh, especially in the U.S., is these uh, heavy weather events are going to have a heavy effect on these large-scale irrigation systems that have cropped up to... Uh, maintain the current uh, genetically modified crops that we use. Right. Um, and, and talking about, you know, genetically modified uh, pests uh, yes. is, becomes a major issue. And that's something I'll get into with coffee uh, specifically. But yep. um, yeah, yeah it's... I found, uh, little uh, potatoes are also affected, actually, because the potato there are as, as resilient and as hardy as they are and grow anywhere and grow in horrible conditions, mm-hmm. they can't survive the pests. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I, I lose, you know, just, you know, five, five to 10% of potatoes to pests. I mean, I cut around stuff and, but I had a, a whole crop just die back on me this year because of potato bugs. Yep. Uh, and it was gross. and i lost a lot of potatoes and it was very disappointing Mm. um but okay so so coffee i i've got just a few bullet points i want to go yes let's go back yes coffee because i got numbers i got stuff on coffee too this is about flavor really uh for me and uh as i i said to you this morning we are a couple of rude dudes talking food today uh yes and your sister agrees with half of that for sure uh (laughs) i apologize i am sorry i picked on you the anonymous uh slightly anonymous third person on our show yes hey they offered they offered to come shuck shuck beans for you yes and we'll talk about that later um (laughs) all right so before you dig into the coffee and flavors i want to actually go on to this this, the the term i found uh that is related that is basically covers the uh the different the characteristics and the taste of flavors uh based on where they're grown and Mm -hmm. it's t 
terroir, which terroir. some French, terroir, <laughs> yes, but some French person can correct me, whatever. So, sorry, my French listeners, this is a French term, uh, but its de- definition is the characteristic taste and flavors imparted to, and I put this in quotes, wine by the environment which it is produced. Things that affect it are climate, temperature, humidity, sun exposure, soil, production, how it's produced. Like with coffee beans, uh, sun-dried versus oven drying. Right. Topography, um, adjacent plants, and and pests. Right. And by topography, we're talking like altitude. Altitude, yep. Altitude okay. or soil. Or topography can also cover the soil too, because of where yeah. like different regions have the different qualities of soils. Yeah, drainage, etc. Yep. So yeah, and and terroir is a French term specifically to wine, but uh, it applies. It applies uh, to at... coffee, co- coffee, chocolate, hops, mm-hmm. wine. Like there's just a number of things that are very much heavily affected by. How, where and how it is grown. Yes, and and that's why, you know, uh, a Washington apple is different than a Vermont apple, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and that is the same thing. They are of the same species, but they're, you know, we get these subspecies um, that, you know, o- over time have changed because uh, of mm-hmm. terroir, yep. um, which is weird because it's spelled T-E-R-R-O-I-R, and... Yep. But it's pronounced with a W in the middle. So yeah, very, <laughs> very uh, odd. I had to study uh, quite a bit of French uh, for with involving my culinary degree. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so coffee, uh, real quick. So let's start with a couple of the bullet points we talked about at the beginning: reduced yep. yields uh, in yep. coffee. This is specifically because of rising temperatures. Yep. They are very sensitive. Yes, they are, and I saw, I, I saw that it's it's really. The rising temperatures are reducing the area regions that it can be grown. Right. So right now we're looking at about fifty percent loss of the regions where it's being can can be grown. Well, and that actually directly correlates to the yields are also at about fifty percent. So. Temperatures above 24 degrees Celsius or about 75 degrees Fahrenheit reduces flower production and berry set. So, and and you can't have berries without flowers. So, um, it's just one of those things. It's like there's less beans, there's less yield, um, yep. and and we're also talking about less land available to grow these on. Um, now. Back to the pests, climate change uh, is also leading to increased pests and diseases. The coffee berry borer uh, is a major pest of coffee, and its population is expected to increase as the temperatures increase. Uh, it really likes warmer areas, so the specific pest for coffee is going to become more prominent. Oh, see, it's going to double whammy because I found a fungus that is specific to coffee, the... Uh... Coffee rust fungus, as temperatures and humidity rises, uh, thrives in these conditions and is very much affecting the plants. Yes, yeah, and it's going to affect the prices. Uh, and and finally, uh, flavor. It, so the the warmer it gets, the more bitter the coffee becomes. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not one of those bitter 
flavors persons uh, as far as like hops and coffees go. I like a light and fruity one. So, uh, you know, I'm starting to think like, well, should I start growing tea? <laughs> like, should I? I can grow tea. Um, but, uh, yeah, so a more bitter coffee, more expensive coffee. I mean, I, I didn't bother to look up um, what percentage of the daily consumption is uh, of coffee in, in, as it translates to dollars. But, I mean, come on. Like, yeah. it's got to be so much. Okay. And it is. I mean, look, I mean, Starbucks' entire Starbucks, Dunkin's, these entire industries that are built around the bean. Yeah, absolutely built around the bean, uh, culturally uh, built around the bean. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I remember I was at a job. It was one of the most ridiculous things I'd ever heard. But they were comparing two Dunkin' Donuts to each other and saying, well, this Dunkin' Donuts is better than this Dunkin' Donuts. You know, and that's just how manipulated we've be we've become, you know, as consumers. But I'll 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 ease off of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, I mean, coming back, it's like the uh, the New York bagel conundrum. Like right. the guy in California wanted his New York bagels mm -hmm. and couldn't get them because the water water is different. So that he actually bought a, built a filtration type system to recreate the conditions to get that New York City flavored water. You know, and it's something, you know, we have tried over and over to, you know, making our own bagels and we know what we're doing. You know, we're not idiots, but every single time they come out awful. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's uh, uh, it's just one of those things, uh, you know, and that is what Eric is talking about with terroir, that uh, the the circumstances that we take for granted is um is such an important factor mm -hmm. here and you know we saw locally we saw with you know we always go back to the frost uh, you know that that bit of climate change had a devastating impact on a small industry uh and uh has affected prices i'm not seeing vermont apples in grocery stores i'm seeing you know more washington yeah massachusetts connecticut um and surrounding maine yep. And it's uh, disappointing yep. and upsetting, and uh, it's just it just is. Yep. Beer, beer. <laughs> yes, so, I'm not a beer drinker. I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a social beer drinker. Um, I like craft beer, so I like my I like my flavors. I hate IPAs, but hey, oh god, I yeah, the, I'll, the... Fight, I'll fight anybody over that one. IPAs <laughs> are terrible. I hate that they've saturated the market. But IPAs are a great example of the terroir. Terroir. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. <laughs> Just I'm point gonna, at me, I, Eric, I, I, and I'll, I'll say it for it you. Ter um, terroir. Terroir. <laughs> so, they found, so um, some people that were studying that, that uh, took a uh, 23 different breeds of hops. Very distinct flavored breeds and they planted the, like every single one of these in two very separate locations very different growing environments they found that the the a group grew and they the genetic flavors trumped the the ter terroir flavors okay but then they found that the b group all had 
a abundance of the uh, hexyl glucoside, which is a grassy aroma. And they found that that that's the entire every single strain in that second group where it was grown all had that same glucoside present. So is this related to the alpha acids in the hops? That, um, uh, no, that's not how the how the uh, the how the the sugar gets broken. This one is how the okay. This is about brew down. the brewing process. No, no, no. Actually, as the hop is growing, how the sugar and glucose. Oh, break down. okay. Okay, because I I was reading about um, alpha acids in hops, mm -hmm. and I'm just I've got a quick definition here because yeah. uh, but it's it's basically uh, the principal components in lupulin the resin the resin of the hop cone uh, they're gr of great interest to brewers because they are the main bittering agent mm -hmm. in hops and and a lot of these people like these like really hoppy bitter beers and um, so now. Uh, the increase in temperature is re uh, resulting in a reduction of bitterness. So again, going back to the terroir and the the flavor, uh, it is it is going to change the flavor of hops um, in warmer areas where it Good. was Good, maybe normally... that'll make less IPAs. Right. It, well, and this is something I was thinking about uh, right before the show, but you see these trends. Uh, kind of pop up and around around flavors like this and yep. and this IPA one I think we're going to see like a peak and we're going to start seeing uh, a return to stouts and stouts and, and uh, heffies and yep. pilsners lambics and yep. and the like yeah uh, and so I think we're going to see and I love a really good pilsner I really do uh, but uh, I think we're going to see the that the consumer is going to be led away from hops mm -hmm. uh, because it's going to become too expensive to produce them in the quantity needed to 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 supply. See, I think I think it's going to be a more of that because hops are hops are is, is hops are like weed. You pretty much can throw them in the ground and yeah. they, in, in just about anywhere. And they will grow in good abundance. I think it's going to be a matter of the current regions that where they're grown in abundance is going to have to shift, causing things like the flavors of the hops themselves to change. It's just, I mean, that's See, the I'm seeing it as more of like you're going to need twice as many hops to get the same bitter. And... Oh, I mean, yeah, that's absolutely true. I, 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 that's going to be crap because it's like just no, like we need to. It's that's. Ah, that's like that's like the aggravating market trend right there of like, right. no, like we're being wasteful of the amount of hops we're growing rather than we should be more efficient and grow, grow maybe less bitter or brew less bitter flavors so right. we can still utilize the current crop yields without having to like grow twice as much just to get those same flavors. Exactly. That's that's kind of more what I was thinking. Um it's 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 going to change the marketplace regardless. Yeah. Um, anything else? Did we miss anything on hops here? Because my no, notes I, are that, sort I covered of all my stuff. Wine. But wine, um, yeah, I got some stuff on wine too. Yeah, let's. Uh, I know you've always got the numbers. Yep. So the uh, big thing is, is like, so out of France, they've done, they've been doing lots of studies because wine from France, very big industry. So they very oh, yeah. much, they very much are, are aware of it. Um, 
they're they're probably not going to be able to keep growing wine in France because there is wine grapes require a temperature range of only 18 degrees Fahrenheit. So yep. if like temps get out higher than that 18 degrees Fahrenheit or lower than those that that temperature, then it's going to affect the flavor of the grapes. Like and then but then there's specific strains like Pinot grapes only have a three degree variance in temperature. Okay. And as soon I mean, as you again, start it's to, right back to Goldilocks, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Goldilocks zone of for flavors. And uh, they're so they're fighting that like, yeah, if that certain grapes are getting very different flavors as temperatures change. Another one like California, they're actually having to shift from Napa and uh, what's the other valley there that has a lot of grapes. Uh, can't think of the name, uh, of it. but they're finding because of all the wildfires out there that they're having to change where they grow because, uh, soil. not, not, to, right. no, not just, not the soil, oh. the, the smoke gives the grapes an ashy flavor, which does not does. translate to good flavored wine. I did come across one thing saying that Bordeaux's will become a much more bolder flavor. So, hmm. um. And I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing a market trend away from things like, uh, you know, uh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Pinot's, Grigio, Charnets. to Bordeaux's and Merlot's. Yeah. And, well, the other thing things. I saw is that, the, so the number one was the, the varieties changing, but also a rise in mixed wines that produce the same flavors as the Pinot's, the Chardonnay's, and what currently do. Okay. Well, and I, I just uh, just to point out a silliness here. Now we're finally talking about wine, and we have not used the word terroir once. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. there's also the grapevine moth, uh, which same problem with uh, the coffee uh, borer. Uh, it is expected to increase in population mm -hmm. and severity uh, as temperatures increase. Uh, yep. which is just continues this this trend now did what other foods did you come across i mean um, without without talking about scarcity and things like that we're talking you know how it's affecting our yep. mouths i guess <laughs> yeah chocolate chocolate, chocolate. One. okay Cocoa beans are very much need wet humid environments to grow mainly rainforest like climates and different and as these regions change like uh the 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 article on the terrara that i found said like so chocolate it was actually the the they interviewed a couple that started a chocolate company and actually call it like ter i think it's terroir chocolate or something like that um and i apologize to the company if you're listening i, I just screwed up your name sorry um <laughs> uh, but they found like they started finding the like Different areas have very different chocolate tastes. Like a Madagascar coca bean has a very fruity taste. Okay. Whereas a Dominican or a Ecuadorian one, like more of our Central American region one, has a much more nutty and hearty taste. Okay. And and coming off of, and we talked a bit about it, was it last week or the week before, uh, the Amazon and uh, the the sort of environmental impacts that we're having there yep. already. Uh, so, and and isn't the coca bean dangerously close to becoming endangered? Uh, it it's more that like they, they 
it's we just need to sh- i mean it's it's another crop where we need we need to be willing to to become more transient in our growing right because there are areas of the country that are getting more wet and humid that could grow the coca bean but we're not adapting fast enough right okay we're we're, we're very much stuck in no we have to grow it here if we don't grow it here it's impossible to grow it's like no like farmers and others i mean that's the the the, that that uh that nature.com study i sent you which is a very really well written article and actually a report report on the how we can adapt but it just requires migration to new regions and and not sitting there and trying to like stay in the same regions and keep growing like in specifically here okay so so if we've got have we gotten through all of our foods at this point more yep, or less i think we got yep we got through all of, all of them we got yeah coffee hops wine chocolate uh, I mentioned a little bit corn, wheat, and soybeans. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, do we see this as as the primary solution is to um, uh, essentially change everything, the entire structure? Uh, I mean, is this our only option at this point, or are we talking? I mean, we're we're, we're th- things are not being changed at a fast enough pace to mitigate the effects of global boiling and what that's going to do to our different growing regions. And due to that, then the farmers, consumers, and everyone needs to be willing to adapt. And that's where the, that's where we're stubborn, these stubborn humans. It's like, we used to be a migrating, roaming people but we've gotten just so much tied to, no, we have to have, no, like, old John has his big 100,000 acre farm, and he's invested so much money in that, he cannot move. And it's right. that kind of hindrance that's going to actually prevent us from from adapting enough to actually see our, our foods, not see reductions in yields. Well, you know, so much of what I learned in when I was much younger about farming and things like that was uh, crop rotation mm-hmm. and industrial. The industrialization of farming has removed this and mm-hmm. has created this vacuum of chemicals and uh, additives to soil because a plant needs a specific nutrient more often than not and when you plant that plant repeatedly in that soil uh you can't you can't recover it mm-hmm. um you know i move my garden around every year you yeah. know i've had some spots where i'm like well you know what the way the water runs through here tomatoes do really well i'll just amend the soil with some compost but we don't you know this massive industrialization of farming has uh really Taken it, taken the skill level necessary to switch crops from year to year, mm-hmm. but um, just removed the need to at all. Yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's also it doesn't help that companies like Monsanto incentivize farmers to be single single crop farmers. Right. Yes. Yeah. And you know you can only get your seed from them. 
And mm -hmm. if that seed is found anywhere else, they're going to find out where it came from. And it's a no, I mean, I mean we, we, we both just finished Fall of House Usher. And they yes. actually, there's a yep. scene in there where they comment on how if the, these seed companies, and this is a very true fact because Monsanto has done this, where they had their, their, their cropped farm next to a farmer that didn't buy from them. And they ended up suing the other farmer because the pollen from their seeds drifted over to this guy's farm, and yep. they considered that a stealing of of the intellectual property. And they win the lawsuits. That's the, that's the worst part is they yep. win these lawsuits. So the courts are stacked against against us in in changing. Yes, uh, you know, and we're lucky in in rural areas that that's very very unlikely uh, mm -hmm. but it's it's a reality and it it's, is. it's upsetting um, yeah. oh, oh back I coughed yes. um, so uh, yeah it's it's the solution is so overwhelming that mm -hmm. I am extremely pessimistic that they're, they're, the reality of a solution is anything else other than becoming less dependent on the commercial output. Be, yep. you, you know, take care of yourself. Figure it out. No matter where you live, urban, mm -hmm. suburban, rural, it is an option. And if more and more of us do it, we can abate not only you know things like Monsanto, but we can we can fight against the overwhelming terrifying global monster that is coming for us yep. um so uh, i just you know i i just can't say it enough learn how to do this this yep. is not hard you can if you have a question email us we will f help you find a solution that's it, it, we don't make money doing this this is this is something that is important to us and yep. uh, and, it, and and I, we are i mean i know we do the two of us live in a region that we are we are stuck with a lot of what we can grow but it doesn't hurt to try like try growing a coca tree try going a coffee a coffee coffee bush try like just try it see what happens see what what it takes to maybe make those produce in our regions because like i like i like to come back to trial and error it's all about trying like and who cares if you fail the first try who cares if you fail the first 20 times yeah and you know eric and i were laughing pretty good last week uh when i sent him a a uh, photo of my bountiful <laughs> peanut harvest i literally yes. grew a handful of peanuts uh and it's you know i had never tried peanuts before peanuts are not traditionally grown in this area i grew a few and if oh. things continue to warm i'll i'll try them again later uh but you know i i just tried it and it was hilarious at, at how much i failed yeah. <laughs> so do it it's fun why not yeah. So, but yeah, speaking of growing things at home, Eric, well, we're not growing anything these days either. We're not growing anything. We're, 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 we're packing things up, putting things to bed, um, or in my case, dealing with well problems. Yes. Crisis on the, the Eric's homestead there. Yep. Um, you want to tell us what happened? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's 
It's two years ago. My uh, my well line sprung a leak, mm-hmm. and the line ran under my garage. So to re- resolve this, I I decided to dig up my well and run a new line. Um, in the process, I lost my existing my my current well pump down the well. So I had to put in a new well pump, run new new water line, new power line, the whole works. Um, and this was two years ago. Um, and then Thursday night, uh, my oldest was taking a shower and just said, the water just stopped. And they said that the lights flickered before it happened. So I'm like, oh, yep, the breaker probably tripped. So I go downstairs. I flip the breaker immediately pops right back like you can see it it gets it sent out enough electricity to start the pump and then stopped um so then i realized like all right i got a short somewhere check my wires inside no problems there and it's just like oh no oh no i'm going to have to dig up my well pump um thank goodness uh valley artesian well a great local company i applaud you guys you guys came right out to help me out which was awesome um, they came out, they looked at it, we put, they put a voltmeter on my, my well pump solenoid, um, and found that there was a short somewhere between the well housing or the well electrical and the pump. So I went and got a mini excavator and dug myself a hole and we found it. We found the short required me to entirely rerun the entire electrical on, uh, outside, um, still have to bury the new electrical line because they're going to come back uh, in a couple days, or I don't know when, but they're coming back <laughs> to both raise my wellhead above grade and to uh, put my line, the wire, the, the electrical that we just reran into conduit at 18 inches below grade and then back into the house and all that good stuff. Fun. Yes. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so and and this is kind of the reality of 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 living in this world there's no infrastructure there's no uh you know city water there's no sewage uh nope. my i i'm you know i've got a very very old septic system and uh we decided to dig it up uh this week and take a look and open the cap not, not a fun chore but uh, if we don't have like uh, an alarm on our septic or anything like that, so we open it up, and right now it is really quite full. Uh, so you know we're we're being extremely conservative with water uh, in the house and and waste, and and you know we're doing our dishes in a bin, which we really should do more often. But we just it's just one of those things we just forget after yeah. a time and you know it's just so much so easy to forget um but yeah. i'll be building some uh other solutions in the summer uh next year as far as like gray water and things are concerned yeah. um but yeah, yeah I this used is to have, my house actually used to have both a a gray water line that went right to a leach field mm-hmm. and then the actual septic and then yeah. at one point they ended up uh, the the line for the gray water line it had a uh, it was just a rock slab over the this this cistern yes um, and that rock snapped and smashed into that and then the the 
plumber or excavator that came and fixed it ended up just tying that existing gray water line back into the the regular wastewater line past the septic tank to where it all just goes right into the leach field. Yeah, we had a uh, gray water tank at some point on this property, I guess, but it collapsed uh, uh, yep. on See, itself. That's so. what you've got a lot of older Vermont. They have they've they had the gray water, they had separate systems for both gray and and sewage. Yep. But yeah, a lot of the the older ones is they they collapsed and. Yep. So uh, I'll be working out something for that. It's. Uh, gonna be fun other than that really not a whole lot going on here um ben just playing catch up uh, after you know get, connecting with the board of directors for the for the farmer's market and you know just kind of brainstorming ways to to bring growth to the market and things like that um it's cold and rainy and uh i don't wanna i'm just gonna chill out inside you know, take oh, a that's why break. I was so mi- I was miserable. Oh yeah, Friday. <laughs> I I had to be out in the rain. I of course the little excavator I got is the one that didn't have a little roof over it, yep. so I got soaked. <laughs> yes, and I have and been cold, on that excavator. That exact excavator <laughs> dug the foundation for my addition. So <laughs> I, I even thought about getting the one that is like a step up larger. Uh-huh. Just because that one has the roof on it, <laughs> and I'm like, no, you know, no, no. I'll go. With, I don't. I don't need. It. I'll live. It's just water. I'll be wet and miserable. And when I'm all is said and done, I will be able to take a hot shower, which also almost turned out really badly. Right, because you got dirt and mud. Because I, I well, right? when I dug up the wellhead, I accidentally dug a little too deep, and I completely severed my well line. <laughs> So I had to get that re. I had to. We had. They, they were able to coupling that to back together. Thank goodness. Yeah. But in the process of when we fired up the well pump, it pumped water out, and then it would shut off, and all that water that it pumped out would just fall right back down into the line, going right back into my well. So I had to run. I ran my tub for about an hour and a half, almost two hours. Before it finally ran Primed. clear. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, man. So and That's not even counting the amount of rust that's been kicked up as well. So all my water is a little bit rusty right now. But, hey, iron is good for you. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Especially totally. my teenager needs iron anyway. So I just see it as a win. Just attach them straight to the pipe. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, homesteading. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's blissful. Uh, <laughs> yes woo homesteading so next week we will be coming to you on October 31st Ooh. and uh, we will be uh, it will be Halloween and we're going to be talking about Halloween uh, yep. in, in a sort of fashion here uh, we are going to talk about waste associated with holidays uh, it sounds like it's going to be a real bummer of an episode but yeah, it'll, but we're, it'll, we're gonna we're fine. gonna try to talk a little. We're gonna be cheerful because we're gonna talk about the history of Halloween, how yep. it evolved from the Turnip harvest turnips. festival yeah. to spooky. So yeah, so it's gonna be kind of a history lesson, and uh, you know, uh, return uh, why 
we might want to start returning to a, a more traditional uh, holiday celebration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I love Halloween. I think it's fun. I've always enjoyed, you know, I've always, you know, liked going to Halloween parties and dressing up and Meg is making her Halloween costume as we speak. Uh, you know, so it's, it's just a blast. But yeah. um, we're going to talk about returning to the old ways. The old Ooh. ways and, yeah, how uh, the... The wastefulness of the modern, modern holidays, and in, in both we're gonna cover Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, kind of all bundled together, and their the cat what what capitalism has done to those holidays. Yay! All right, Yay. so uh, tune in next week for that. Uh, we'll be celebrating Halloween together. Um, if you would like to reach us on the show, if you'd like an email, uh, to email, rather, uh, brokenshovel802 at gmail.com. Uh, and I am on the TikTok at brokenshovelfar. And, uh, you know, we love listening and hearing from people. I, I got to see a screenshot from your sister today. Uh, I will take her up on it next year. I will. We just didn't get enough beans. I'm sorry. It's, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry. That's why I was offering you some seeds, but if you don't want seeds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a feel. I, I really look forward to finally meeting your sister. I do. Yeah. I think that's going to be uh, an interesting conversation. I feel like she's going to hit me. Yeah, uh, she is. She is that type. She does. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, and uh, Eric, just, can you say it for us one more time? Terror. Terror. <laughs> All right. Have a good time. Later.